brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, achy joints, weight gain. Maybe you're thinking they're all just part of getting older, or that's what your doctor tells you. But Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all be connected. Hormonal changes that happen during perimenopause and menopause are at the root of dozens of symptoms women experience, not just hot flashes. Midi specializes in compassionate care for women in menopause. Their solutions are safe, effective, and FDA-approved. Plus, they're covered by insurance. A convenient telehealth visit with a Midi clinician can be your first step to getting personalized care. They'll tailor a treatment plan for your symptoms and health history, so you can get back to feeling great. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. When your body changes, your care should too. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. This show does not provide medical advice. If you're having a medical emergency, please call 911. Anything you hear here should be discussed with your primary health care provider. Hello, and welcome to Everyone Dies, the radio show produced by Passionate World Talk Radio, whose goal is to educate, enlighten, and entertain. I'm Marianne Massa, and for the next 30 minutes, I am your host. Today, um, gosh, what is this? I think it's the third interview with... Um, Stephen Lemke, and let me uh, catch you up if you haven't listened to the first two. And after I catch you up and after you hear this interview, go back and listen to the first two. So um, we met Stephen. We first met Stephen back, I don't know how many months ago now, uh, when we were doing a show on, um, on, on lung issues, IPF. And um, Stephen, in the first interview, talked with us about what it was like to live with IPF and um, uh, how the disease progressed for him. And then the second interview we did, we talked about what was the transplant experience. So the treatment for him, the only treatment that was available um, other than some medications was uh, a double lung transplant, two lungs transplanted. And he had to do like nine days of testing, 80 days in the hospital, and um, had a double lung transplant. And that was five years ago. And so we talked about that entire um, experience. We'll, we'll call it an experience. And then we said, you know what, let's do another one talking about what happens after you come back from the transplant center and um, start to live your life again. So, Stephen, welcome back. Well, thank you. It's so great to finally be back again. I know. We've had some ups and downs. My daughter had been diagnosed with COVID, and so I was a little distracted when it came to the um, the <laughs> setting up uh, recordings and doing that, doing that kind of thing, and Stephen was very patient with me. 
So, Stephen, we, you know, when last we left off, you, you had, you'd left the hospital, you'd had a severe infection, and I forget, how many days did you spend in the hospital for that infection? For the infection, it was uh, 43 days. 43 days, and yeah. it's required for the transplant um, three months in Rochester, which is where Stephen had his transplant, so it was three, three months, and then the 42 days was on top of that? Yes, yeah. I was actually in Rochester for about five months. Wow. Because I was, I was there for a month uh, waiting for lungs because I couldn't get enough That's right. uh, oxygen yeah. at home. And mm-hmm. then uh, I had to be there for five months. And, and that was after I got out of the hospital. I had to be there for three months. I'm sorry, three. So, yeah, wow. it went from wearing shorts and, and T-shirt to... Um, uh, December before I finally got out of that, got to come back home to where I live. So, so let's start there. You, you come back home, and I think a lot of people have either they don't really know what's involved with the transplant, which is why you and I spend a lot of time talking about it, or um, they kind of have a vague idea. And they, some people think, okay, I've got any kind of whatever disease I have. I'll go have the transplant, and that's going to cure me. But transplants don't cure, do they, Stephen? Uh, no, they do not. Um, it is a way to uh, extend your life with some quality, and um, hopefully that, that is a long time. But, uh, you know, everybody's different. And um, there's always, no matter, whenever you're taking medication or get a major surgery like that, it's always a trade-off with uh, side effects and things for getting to return to breathing on your own. You know, it's, uh, it's uh, not a, I know I'm, I can only speak for myself. I say that every time my experiences are mine and I don't know um, if anybody else shares them. I think probably some of my experiences are shared by other people, but mm-hmm. um, when I first got, uh, out of the hospital, I don't know if it was because I of my uh, um, infection afterwards that I was in there for so long and had to go through about, I don't know, five or six more surgeries after transplant that it made me so uh, forgetful. Or if, if uh, everybody gets as forgetful after transplant, I don't know. But it's, uh, it's imperative that you learn how to put your pills into these little pill, daily pill boxes for the mm-hmm. week. And um, I think I started out with about 51 or 52 pills I had to memorize. That was at first. And uh, I'm going to interject here that um, w- one of the reasons you have to stay for three months close to the hospital is because they're constantly adjusting uh, your medications. And you have to be there to go into the clinic at least four or five times a week while you're there so they can uh, uh, keep up with you. And, uh, you know, you, uh, well, maybe you, you get off of this pill or maybe that one isn't agreeing with you some way or maybe that one's hard on your kidneys or whatever. So, you know, they have to constantly adjust things. 
And so I started off with about 51 or 52 pills a day. And um, I would sit at the dining room table with a book that they gave me where all the pills are written down, which what the names of them are, how many to take, at what time of day to take them, uh, at what intervals, because some of them you can't mix together. You have to have two-hour intervals between them. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. it would take me sometimes six or eight hours to fill up the oh pill box. Yes. Um, of course, now I can put the I, I can do all my pills in about twenty minutes for the whole week, and I don't even have to look at anything. I just know what they are. I know what they're for because I've been doing it so long. But right. um, I would get so frustrated there'd be tears running down my cheeks trying to remember what pills to put where, even when there was a guide right next to me. Wow. And um, I couldn't read. Uh, that was one of the problems was I'd read one sentence and forget exact what, I, what it said. I'd have to mm-hmm. go back and reread that sentence four or five times. And then that's I would have part to- of, actually, just for the listeners, you know, that's part of the hospitalization experience. That's part of being in the ICU. There's, things, there's something called like a post-ICU syndrome. Um, there, the, the, just the wear and tear of being in a hospital, being, you know, in the bed, the drugs, the um, being on a ventilator, having surgeries, all of that, you know, we think, oh, well, that's really hard on our bodies, but it's also really hard on, on our minds. And, um, you know, I can remember after I had an ICU experience, I was in the ICU for a month and trached, and I can remember so clearly Stephen coming home, and one of the things I love to do is to read, and so I'm off work, you know, because uh-huh. I'm recovering. I couldn't read a book. All I could do was look at pictures in the magazine. I I can relate. Can yes. you relate I, to that? I, yeah. I bought a book while I was in the hospital. That's from the Mayo Clinic. It's um, oh God, I can see it from here. It's, it's uh, written by a doctor there. That um, it's about uh, how to communicate uh, mm-hmm. better, you know, and uh, to get along. And uh, I've had it five years now. I still haven't read it because I'm not completely yet. I mean, I'm much, much better than I was five years ago. But um, I'm I'm better at listening now, you know, like a book online or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, that was very, very tough and, and very uh, hard to swallow. I mean... Because uh, I used to have such a great mind. I, I mean, a memory. I'm sorry, not mind, memory. Mm-hmm. And uh, to go from that to have not having a memory at all was like, oh, my God, what's happening? What's going on with me? Am I going to be like this forever? You know? Well, and sort and, of, you know, the short answer is, in a sense, yes. You know, like I, for me, I learned techniques in terms of writing things down, taking notes, not not trusting my memory. You know, like I'd always assume in the past, well, I'll remember that. I have to assume 
now I'm not going to remember it. I might, <laughs> but I have to. Right, right. Yeah, that's a, that's a great idea because I started out trying to put things into my phone or my iPad so that I could remember them there. But you got to look at it, and I wouldn't remember <laughs> yeah. to do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the information's there, but <laughs> if you're not paying attention, right, it doesn't do much good. Right. And I do, you know, like I do things the old-fashioned way. I have, you know, like a planner that I write things in because, you know, it, I can put it in my phone, and then sometimes I can't remember where the phone it is. But on a piece of paper, I tend to do a little bit better. So, you know, so you have to take a lot of medicine because um, your 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 body has to be able to fight rejecting those lungs. So those lungs are consider you can consider them foreign objects in your body. And so if you got a splinter in your body, your body would say, oh, that's a foreign object. I have to get rid of it so it doesn't yes. harm, the, harm you. So right. you have to take a lot of medicine. Everyone who does, has a transplant has to take a lot of medicine to help um, rejection not happen. So, um, and that was part of those 52 medicines that you took, right? And those medicines, do you take them for the rest of your life? Uh, most of them, yes. Uh, very few mm-hmm. of them are, are maintenance, um, but most of them are uh, antibiotics for certain areas, like uh, one prevents uh, or tries to prevent, because it's not like a block, you know, it's just one prevents viruses, another one bacteria, another one mold. Because all those things can uh, attack you because uh, I also take two other medications that keep my immune system down. So I have to have something in my system all the time to fight um, those types of, of things off. And then I mm-hmm. also, uh, I inherited a, oh, I wish I could remember the name of it now, but I inherited something from my donor that... Um, From what I was told, about 40% of the people in the United States either get this when they're very young or they're born with it. It's some kind of a a virus that's in your lungs, and you don't even know you have it if you get it when you're very young or uh, are born with it. And Mm -hmm. 60% of the people don't have it. And the only way that you know that uh, it shows up the symptoms show up is that you're getting a transplant and the donor has it and you don't. If neither one of you had it, no problem. If you had it and the donor didn't, no problem. But in my case, I didn't have it and my donor did. So that adds another uh, antibiotic that I have to take twice a day for the rest of my life to keep that wow. virus down that's in the lungs. Mm-hmm. Other than that, they function beautifully. But uh, mm-hmm. so I, I take. Um, I actually one of the things that happens after uh, transplant that they told me was going to happen, and I kind of just really didn't pay that close attention to it. Was you have to stay out of the sun. Always mm-hmm. wear sunscreen every day, even if it's cloudy out. Got to wear a long sleeve shirt, wear gloves whenever, um, because I ended up getting skin cancer because I didn't pay attention to that part. 
And uh, when I was in uh, with the uh, dermatologist, he was looking at my chart, and um, he said, wow, he says, you're taking five medications that stay, stay out of the sun. Mm-hmm. And so that's how many uh, different antibiotics and, and uh, type of things that I'm taking just to counteract anything that might be trying to invade me with a low immune system. And that's true in, in some drugs within oncology. When um, I worked on oncology and saw patients with certain drugs that, that they take, and I, every time I saw them, I would give them a lecture about sun, sunscreen, hat, you know. And um, some people listen, some people don't. Um, but just for our listeners, when your healthcare practitioner is telling you those things, again, keep a notebook write stuff down, you know, we're not kidding when we say that this is going to make you extra sensitive to the sun and may result in in skin cancer. Uh, Yes. Um, One thing that really surprised me that I had no idea was that uh, the dermatologist told me that if you've ever been sunburned in your life, um, your immune system has been holding that back for you. So holding now, the skin cancer back for you? Yes. Yeah. So mm-hmm. now it's in your system and your immune system is is lower to almost nothing. So now all that the all those sunburns come back just like they just happened to you. Mhm. I and didn't actually, realize that. We we can do a show on skin cancer sometimes, Stephen, but I think it's like five major sunburns before you're I don't know, seven years old tremendously wow. increases your risk of skin cancer. Right. And so, you know, there's some of us moms who like, you have to have your sun, sunscreen on before you go to the beach or before you do anything. And then there's the other moms who are like, oh, they're too young to worry about that. And it's like, sister, no, they're not, you know. Right, my kids, right. My kids grew up, you know, with their friends. I'd line them all up. Like everyone has uh-huh. to have their sunscreen on. And the kids used to call it their sun cream. We have to have our sun cream. Uh, another thing that he told me too that kind of surprised the heck out of me was that not 50% but 50 times he said once you've had a transplant and you're taking all these drugs you're 50 times more likely to get skin cancer wow not 50% so it's I mean, it's a pretty, it's a pretty good, pretty good risk that you're running. And hopefully, maybe some of these Stephen listening to this will say, "Oh my God, yeah, they did tell me that. I didn't pay much attention to it because you know, some people think oh, skin cancer, what's the big deal? But trust me, it it can be life limiting. It can end your life. So um, it's not something to be ignored. That's that is so true. I uh, I ended up getting melanoma on one of my legs, and um, I caught that myself. I had a mole as long as I can remember on my on my left leg, and mm-hmm. one day I was uh, looking at it and I went, "Wow, does that look different?" And so I looked at it the next day and I thought, "How could it change overnight?" Mm-hmm. And I looked at mm-hmm. it the third day in a row, and it changed again. 
it was it went from uh, this being like a roundish roundish mm-hmm. shape mm-hmm. to being not round i mean you know it was like spreading out and changing mm-hmm. color so i called mayo clinic right away and i told them about it and they said well you need to get down here and, and get that looked at so i um i went the day after well so yeah i went within a few days uh, the mm-hmm. whole print thing didn't wasn't a week long from the time I noticed it till I went down there, and um, they did a sample and it came back as uh, melanoma, mm-hmm. and um, then I had to go back down again for uh, a surgery where they and they had to take a big chunk of my flesh out to make sure that mm-hmm. uh, it hadn't spread anywhere. Right. And so far, I haven't had any more melanoma. But then I just went through last summer five weeks of uh, topical chemo on my face where I had like four or five different spots of uh, skin cancer that had been frozen off um, about four times previous, and it just kept coming back, and it kept coming back worse. So um, I had to do this uh, topical chemo twice a day for three weeks and then two additional weeks to stay completely out of the sun. So oh. five weeks out of the sun, three weeks of it on. And wow, it just cleaned it up. I mean, I haven't had any issues since. So, Well, I'm glad to hear that. Yeah, so but I mean, like still, that, you know. You... Okay, oh, go sorry. ahead. I'm sorry. I was going to say, what was it like when you got back home? I mean, was it? back to normal or did things change for you and your family? Well, um, one of the other things that was really difficult to um, adjust to was when I was in the hospital that long, they had to teach me how to walk again. I couldn't, mm-hmm. I couldn't walk. I mean, it felt like my feet were in concrete. Mm-hmm. And um, it took a long time to get over that. And um, also, we were renting a place down there that had six stairs to get into the house, and I couldn't walk up, I couldn't lift my feet to get up the stairs, so I'd have to have somebody in front of me and somebody behind me helping me get up and down stairs every time I went in or out. Wow. So, um, yeah, I mean, there's there's things that happen, you know. Um, Now, once we got home... um, my uh, wonderful kids, they, they were so great about uh, wearing masks. My wife had put sanitizer wipes and uh, uh, sanitizer lotion on every counter at every turn, you know. So every time, uh, and everything had to be uh, completely sanitized. Because at the beginning, you're very, very uh, susceptible to getting, to getting something at the very mm-hmm. beginning. Um, from what I understand now, and I, and I believe that, you know, as time goes on, it, it's it's still there, but it's not as uh, bad as it is at first. So, yeah, my, my kids were, I mean, they were very good about always sanitizing their hands, and, and uh, whenever we had something to eat, I had to be the first one to dish up so nobody else, breathe on the food or sneeze on the food, anything like that. You have to take very uh, a lot of precautions. 
you have to get a new toothbrush, a new razor, um, and uh, sanitize all those things. Even fingernail clippers, anything like that, you got to sanitize that all the time. Um, so there's a lot of things uh, to keep you occupied. Just remembering how to stay clean and and learning, you know, about diet and um, you know watching leftovers and and making sure everything's cooked thoroughly and um, that that's a, a lot of stuff that goes on, but I still remember all of it, and I still I still use it. You know, it's not like mm-hmm. you, there comes a day where you can go, oh, I don't have to worry about that being 165 degrees in the middle anymore. No, that's always like that. Uh, if I go to get a, a egg out of the refrigerator, I look at the date, you know, and make sure that it's not expired. Um, you know, you just have to do that because. Um, and I can't even have eggs like I used to like them with the yolk kind of just a little bit runny. They have to be mm-hmm. thoroughly cooked. They have to, you have to have an, like an omelet or, or scrambled or whatever. Um, can't have leftovers for more than 24 hours, and they have to have been put in the fridge immediately when you're done dishing up. Wow. You know, it's um, a lot of things to remember. I've, I've ruined a few meals by cooking something and then, turn around two hours later and go, oh, I didn't put that away, you know. Mm. So Cyrus gets it. And um, so and then when, when I got home and I was able to function and, and move around, you know, antsy, wanted to drive. I couldn't drive. Well, the five months I was down there, I couldn't drive. And then I, uh, I wasn't supposed to drive for another three months after I got home. Wow. So, uh, yeah, so they don't want you uh, getting in an accident or, you know, not being used to certain medications or something like that. Right. Um, and they're very, very, uh, you have to be very watchful about falling down because if you were to fall down and like break a bone or, or say uh, break a bone in your back or something like that, falling backwards downstairs or something, um, mm-hmm. you would not be strong enough to go through that series of another surgery right away. So how did your wife, or how do you think your wife managed all of these changes within the home? Was that stressful for you guys? Um, no, I don't believe so. My kids were, I mean, they were pretty darn good kids they you know you don't have to tell them four times uh and you know they they realized the situation and they were pretty good about everything and uh, of course my wife was uh sanitizing everything up all the time and um you know very very good about keeping everything not just clean but sanitized and uh, of course she was working at home she was luckily she had a job where she could work from home so uh, we were all together all the time. You know, it wasn't like um, she was off working and the kids were off to school. And, you know, back um, mm-hmm. during that transition period is when my kids started taking the school bus every morning to school and back home in the evening. Prior to all this, I drove them to school and picked them up at the end of the day because I was home. Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. my doctor told me to stop working, 
you know. Mm-hmm. So I was able to go take them to school in the morning, pick them up. And so that was a big transition for them. All of a sudden they have to um, start riding the bus all the time, you know. Mm-hmm. And instead of getting to school in 15 minutes, it might take them 45 minutes, you know. Mm, yeah. And, um, yeah, so, I mean, I, I they were just wonderful, really. Well, that's, you know, that's great to have that support. And I know that um, people going through a transplant have to have their support person who's going to be with them on that entire journey. And for many people, um, they don't have somebody like that. And that can really interfere, can keep them from getting a transplant. So this uh, little window, if you will, into... Um, what it's like to get a transplant and what that, I don't want to call it the afterlife, but after the transplant life is like is really, really helpful to our listeners, Stephen. And I really appreciate you sharing that with us. Um, Do you have any, like, one final thought that you want to make sure that people know about? Well, uh, yes, having that... um Caretaker is extremely important because, you know, with your memory gone and uh, being unstable, uh, you really have to have somebody there all the time for, mm-hmm. uh, for quite a long time to help and make sure, you know, um, that you're going to be okay. Well, thank you for sharing that with us, and thank you to our listeners for spending time with us during the show, Everyone Dies. You can read our blogs and listen to our other podcasts at everyonedies.org. Thank you to our producer, Jeannie White, and our CEO, Lillian Caldwell. We produce a new show every Wednesday to answer questions related to life-threatening illness, dying, and death. Remember, you can listen to Passionate World Talk Radio on Spreaker and our shows wherever you listen to podcasts. If you have a topic you'd like to discuss on our show, please email me, Marianne at everyonedies.org. That's M-A-R-I-A-N-N-E at everyonedies.org, E-V-E-R-Y, the number one, dies.org. I hope that you live your best life every day, and remember, every day is a gift. Thank you for listening. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.